Rico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And for our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about how humans affect clouds. That's coming up later in the program, but first, your environmental headlines. Tim Stark has been found guilty of misappropriating funds from his nonprofit animal sanctuary, Wildlife in Need, located in southern Indiana. The decision followed nearly nine months of court disputes, accusations of embezzlement, missing exotic animals, and a runaway zookeeper. The nonprofit organization has been officially dissolved. A statement from Indiana Attorney General Curtis Hill said the Marion Superior Court ruling of November 4th should serve as a warning to nonprofit owners seeking to commit similar crimes. Hill sued Stark in February, seeking to remove Stark and co-owner Melissa Lane from their director and officer positions and alleging the mistreatment of animals and staff at the Charlestown Animal Sanctuary. In the months that followed, the court forbade Stark from removing any of the animals, barred him from taking on new animals, and issued a warrant for his arrest after holding him in contempt of court. Stark was arrested in New York State, served time in jail, and was released on November 8th. Six Midwest utilities west of Indiana have said they expect to spend more than a combined $15 billion over the next several years to install or buy roughly 4 gigawatts of solar generation, more than 3.6 gigawatts of wind generation, and just over 1 gigawatt of electric battery storage. Each of the utilities also said during the third quarter 2020 earnings presentations that it intends to continue to retire long-held coal-fired capacity as they pursue carbon reduction targets that in most cases they have set for the years 2025, 2030, and 2050. The six Midwest utility holding companies, the WEC Group, which serves mainly Wisconsin, Alliant, which serves both Wisconsin and Iowa, Excel's Minnesota Utility Subsidiary, Michigan CMS Energy and DTE Energy, and Ameren Energy, based in St. Louis, Missouri. Reported third quarter earnings in the last week of October and the first week of November, and said they expect to retire a combined total of 5.8 gigawatts of coal-fired capacity by the years 2022 to 2023. 
According to the prestigious medical journal The Lancet, there is a, quote, looming potential pandemic resulting from a rise in multidrug-resistant bacterial infections that are undetected, underdiagnosed, and increasingly untreatable, which threatens the health of people in the USA and globally, end quote. The two main contributors to antibacterial resistance are in agriculture and human medicine when antibiotic use isn't warranted. The misuse of antibiotics in agriculture includes their application to control certain bacterial diseases in plant agriculture. However, crop uses are small compared to their uses in livestock production, where they're used largely as additives to animal feed to ward off any potential infections and to promote unnaturally rapid growth rather than use to treat bacterial infections. Both objectives compensate for the overcrowded and unsanitary conditions of industrial feedlots, which scientists think are contributing to the next pandemic. The other important cause of antibacterial resistance is the unnecessary use of antibiotics in human medicine, where they're prescribed as preventives to forestall an infection or during the course of a viral infection, which can't be cured by antibiotics. A study from this past summer showed that 72% of COVID-19 patients received antibiotics unnecessarily. In 2015, the White House released a comprehensive plan to curtail antibiotic misuse and accelerate new antibacterial drugs and vaccines. The plan's name was the National Action Plan for Combating Antibiotic-Resistant Bacteria, and its application has been uneven and contradictory, according to the environmental organization Beyond Pesticides. The organization also points out, quote, failing to confront antibiotic resistance undermines decades of advances in medicine and public health. The COVID-19 pandemic should serve as a wake-up call that progress on the National Action Plan is critical for public health, end quote. A company wants to build a massive fracked gas plant in South Jersey, just across the river from Philadelphia International Airport on the banks of the Delaware River. The river basin and its ecosystem are home to diverse wildlife, and the river provides drinking water to more than 17 million people. Besides the Delaware River and its tributaries, support a thriving ecosystem with more than 60 fish species and a diverse bird population. In fact, the bird population led the Pennsylvania Audubon Society to designate the Upper Delaware Scenic and Recreational River as an important bird area. The river valley also hosts foxes, otters, bobcats, owls, and other animals, and houses one of the region's largest populations of wintering bald eagles. If the proposed fracked gas plant is built, large amounts of fracked gas will be transported to the site for processing, and the risks of leaks and fire will be high. Also, the processing center would greatly increase the demand for destructive fracking products in nearby states. The wisdom of transporting fracked gas to the plant is highly questionable. When it filed for a building permit, the company seeking to build the plant said it expected up to 700 tractor-trailer trucks per day to move to and from the plant, carrying dangerous fracked gas and polluting the air. 
Fracked gas would also arrive by rail, which carries a high risk of explosions. The project isn't a done deal. It still needs approval from the Delaware River Basin Commission. The commission could have approved it at its September 10th meeting, but voted to wait and collect more information before making a decision. With Joe Biden as president-elect, many advocates and conservationists are hopeful that animals in the U.S., wild, captive, and farmed, may become better protected. As with many policy areas, Biden declined to talk on the campaign trail about what his administration might do around safeguarding animals, and a Biden spokesperson did not respond to National Geographic's request for comment on the subject. But many animal and wildlife advocates anticipate that initial efforts will involve reversing course on Trump-era policies, which they argue ushered in a dramatic regression in protecting animals. Quote, Every administration comes in and undoes a little something, and you're back battling something you thought you'd taken care of. But these regressions have been wholesale, end quote, says Nancy Blaney, Director of Government Affairs at the nonprofit Animal Welfare Institute. Blaney and others say the Trump administration's tenure has been characterized by regulatory rollbacks and a pervasive lack of transparency. After Trump's first year in office, the League of Conservation Voters, widely considered a reliable appraiser of a politicians' environmental leanings, issued a statement, quote, if there was anything worse than an F, President Trump would get it, end quote. As a longtime senator and two-term vice president to Barack Obama, Biden has earned a lifetime score of 83% from the League of Conservation Voters. He was endorsed for president by the Humane Society Legislative Fund for his robust voting record on animal welfare, having co-sponsored bills to protect horses from slaughter, ban animal fighting, and prohibit the trophy hunting of captive animals. Biden will also bring the first-ever shelter dog to live in the White House. The Bidens adopted Major, one of their two German shepherds, from the Delaware Humane Association in 2018. From an environmental perspective, the Trump administration has focused almost exclusively on deregulation and other executive branch moves aimed at weakening the impact of policies enacted and legislation passed during Obama's terms in office. What are Biden's plans? As part of his campaign platform, Biden released the Biden plan to build a modern, sustainable infrastructure and an equitable clean energy future. Although less ambitious than the Green New Deal and somewhat more aspirational than directive, the plan does offer an outline of a Biden administration's primary goals. They include modernizing the nation's infrastructure and strengthening the U.S. auto industry through the use of American-made technology. Biden also wants to advance sustainable agriculture and conservation and to secure environmental justice. On climate change, Biden proposes net zero emissions set in motion, a series of actions, programs, and regulations aimed at achieving net zero emissions economy-wide no later than 2050, carbon-free power, Establish an advanced research projects agency on climate and related programs and incentives to achieve carbon-free electricity generation by 2035. Promote green energy. 
create 1 million jobs in the electric auto manufacturing industry, install millions of solar panels, build 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations, provide every city with a population of more than 100,000 with zero emission public transportation options, ranging from light rail networks to infrastructure for pedestrians and bicyclists implement a cross-agency effort to identify and promote clean energy technologies, move toward a standard that all new American-built buses be zero emission by 2030, develop and expand tax incentives designed to generate energy efficiency and clean energy alternatives, as well as the possible elimination of so-called subsidies for the fossil fuel companies. Promote carbon capture. Create inventives for carbon capture technology and projects. Promote conservation projects. Finally, inspired by President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal, create a civilian climate corps to perform conservation projects, wetlands restoration, and forest management projects. Hurricanes are staying stronger for longer after making landfall, causing greater and more widespread destruction because ocean waters heated by climate change give them extra fuel, according to a study published in Nature. Researchers looked at 71 hurricanes that made landfall since 1967. In the 1960s, hurricanes lost 75% of their energy and the first day after making landfall, but recent hurricanes lost only about 50% of their energy in that same time frame. As climate change continues to heat the planet's oceans and make extreme hurricanes even stronger, their slow decay, as detailed in this study, could have major implications for inland cities unaccustomed to hurricanes. New Mexico Senator Tom Udall has initiated a so-called 30 by 30 proposal to conserve 30% of the nation's lands and seas by 2030. If passed, the initiative would enable the U.S. to join international goals to protect and preserve almost a third of the world's land and water by the next 10 years. Currently, about 15% of the planet's land and 7% of its seas are protected. According to the proposal, quote, the United States faces a conservation and climate crisis, with nature in a steep decline and greenhouse gas emissions not declining at the rate scientists say is needed. Nature, like the climate, is nearing a tipping point. End quote. Some environmental scientists argue for a 50 by 50 plan to prevent a complete climate breakdown. 50% of the globe will need to be protected by 2050. One of those scientists says to prevent the extinction of a million species and a climate catastrophe, it's important to keep at least half the planet in its natural state. The 30 by 30 plan is an objective of the United States Convention on Biological Diversity, and the political leaders of 64 countries have vowed to support it. The U.S. presidential election could play a crucial role since Donald Trump has abandoned the Paris Climate Accord and other environmental agreements. Furthermore, the administration has opened up previously protected areas to extractive industries. 
According to former oceanography professor Eric Sala, quote, our natural world is our support system. Everything we need to survive depends on the survival of other species. So this is not about saving nature. This is about saving ourselves, end quote. Lexology is a valuable, trustworthy, and informative source for domestic and international legal developments. It has published a view of the likely plans of President-elect Biden for public lands. As a 2020 presidential campaign made clear, President-elect Biden plans to usher in a sharp shift in policy priorities across the federal government anticipates significant changes in the management of federal public lands to be part of that policy shift. While any change in presidential administrations can have significant impacts on management of federal lands and resources, the contrast between the Trump administration and the Biden administration will be especially stark. It is expected the Biden administration will place an amplified focus on conservation and the management of public lands. President-elect Biden has pledged to protect irreplaceable places and promised to conserve 30% of U.S. lands and waters by 2030. This includes plans to institute permanent protections in such areas as the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and establish national parks and monuments that reflect America's natural heritage. The Biden administration will undoubtedly revisit the Trump administration's decision to reduce the size of certain national monuments created by Presidents Obama and Clinton, such as the Bears Ears National Monument and the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. And now for our feature, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sanz talk about how humans affect clouds. I bring fresh showers for the thirsting flowers from the seas and the streams. I bear light shade for the leaves when laid in their noonday dream. A poem by 19th century English poet Percy Bysshe Shelley captures what most of us know about the clouds we see in our skies. The same clouds that have helped Indiana feed the world could also be speaking volumes about the effect our actions have on the Earth's climate. New research from an international team of scientists, including from Purdue University, provide insights into how natural and human-made particles affect precipitation and climate change. Professor Daniel Sitzo, head of Purdue's Department of Earth, Atmospheric, and Planetary Sciences, was part of the team that looked into how emissions from trees, plants, and other organic materials affect the creation of cirrus clouds. Our group has really been into this idea of changes in clouds that can lead to changes in climate. And, you know, I think most people know about greenhouse gases and global warming, but they don't know about all the other things that we do that, that can influence our climate. Um, and, and this year in particular, you know, with all the wildfires in the West, people are talking about particles in the atmosphere. And so it's uh, it, it's been a really interesting year. We, we've got a chance to do a lot of really good work. You know, I think a, a lot of folks have, have heard about global warming and, and the thing that we're all trained to think about is, oh, we're putting these gases into the atmosphere like carbon dioxide, and they act as this blanket, you know, they trap heat and the earth gets warmer. And so that's all true. Um, and, and scientists have been doing that research for over 100 years now, so it's actually pretty well known. But one of the things that people don't realize is that um, we as humans are also putting particles into the atmosphere. Um, those particles act as the seeds on which clouds form. Setso said particles come from natural and human-made sources. Depending on how they reach the atmosphere, they're known as primary or secondary particles. 
Primary particles are released directly into the atmosphere through processes like burning or combustion. They can originate from natural sources like forest fires and dust storms, or from human-caused sources like the burning of coal and other fossil fuels. Secondary particles are created when gases released into the atmosphere react with other chemicals there to transform into particles. SITSO joined scientists from other American universities, including the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and from French and German universities to research how secondary organic aerosols, or secondary particles from natural sources, affect the formation of clouds. SITSO said humans have the ability to affect cloud formation through particle and gas emissions. More particles can lead to the formation of ice, which can have a cooling effect. Although fossil fuels and carbon dioxide emissions cause warming, SITSO said it's important to account for this cooling mechanism also. So if we're going to get our projections of climate right, then, then we have to understand how we're changing particles and how we're changing clouds. The researchers focused primarily on cirrus clouds, the wispy hair-like clouds found high in our region of the atmosphere. Cirrus clouds are made up of ice crystals, but can trap some heat. And so that's when they actually become important for climate, is that they're, they're really the only cloud type that we know of that, that tends to have more of a warming effect than a cooling effect. So lower altitude clouds tend to scatter sunlight more than they tend to trap heat. But cirrus clouds, just because of their presence very high in the atmosphere, they tend to trap a little bit more heat. They act a little bit more like a blanket than they do like a sunshade. And so understanding cirrus, understanding where they are, how abundant they are, and how they're changing is really critical for understanding Earth's climate. The team collected data at an observatory atop the Puy de Dome, an extinct volcano in central France. They began seeing more of the particles that can form cirrus clouds in cases where there was a high abundance of secondary organic particles. Sitso and MIT researchers created secondary organic particles in a lab chamber to test the field findings. They fed the particles into a cloud chamber, a lab device that can be used to mimic the atmosphere and basically form clouds in a lab. The team found that the particles they used to look like secondary organic particles in the atmosphere were creating ice. One of the things that we found was that we were starting to see more of these particles that could form cirrus clouds, these little ice crystals, in cases where there was a high abundance of these secondary organic particles. So it's sort of a, how would you say it? It's, it's, it's making two measurements, um, but it's not cause and effect. It's just an interesting finding at that point, right? So you know you have more of these secondary organic particles, and you know that there's uh, the, the cloud chambers are showing that it's, it's really easy to make these ice clouds under these conditions. And so at that point, we thought it was kind of interesting, but we, we didn't really have you know proof that, that this was a one-to-one -one sort of correlation that the secondary organic particles were, were creating clouds. So that's when we, we went back to lab and we had a chance to work with some other groups. Um, so this was some work that we did at MIT, where in the lab, we were able to make make secondary organic particles in a, in a laboratory chamber. And so you put the gases in that form secondary organics, you let them react, and then the particles get formed. And then we, we feed those particles into our cloud chamber. And so the cloud chamber is able to make really low temperature and high relative humidity conditions. They, they kind of mimic the atmosphere high up. And so, and, and then that was the, the moment when we realized that this was true, that, that those particles that we were making in the lab to look like secondary organics in the atmosphere, we're creating ice. And so we, we realized that what we were seeing in the field was, was really cause and effect. 
The findings will help scientists understand more about how human activities like deforestation, urbanization, and reforestation could influence cloud formation, which in turn affects where and how it rains. Climate change has already affected how people live and work in Indiana. Over the last century, the average annual temperature for the state has warmed by 1.2 degrees Fahrenheit and is projected to rise from 5 to 6 degrees more by mid-century. The average annual precipitation in the state has increased 5.6 inches since 1895 and it is falling in heavier downpours. That change will increase flood risks, potentially polluting water as combined sewer systems overflow. Those and other changes are caused by human activity, a vast majority of which is due to the emission of greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide and methane. Sitzo said scientists have studied greenhouse gases and global warming for more than a century, but there is still more to learn. What we're still trying to do as scientists is become more certain about what we know. We think we've got all of the building blocks, but, but getting the story exactly perfect, making sure we understand where the uncertainty is and being able to project it into the future. That's what we're really trying to do. And so clouds are this aspect of climate change that's less well known than greenhouse gases, less well understood. And so if we're going to improve our forecasts, climate, our projections of climate, you know, in the year 2050 or 2100, th this is one of the areas that we really have to study more. For Eco Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. And now for our events calendar. Here comes the beautiful full beaver moon on Saturday, November 28th. Stop by Spring Mill State Park to learn all the lore and history of the full beaver moon and the adaptations of the American beaver. Meet at the Lakeview Activity Center for a one-mile moderate hike around the lake from 7 to 8 p.m. It's time for the Monroe Lake Holiday Hiking Challenge that will take place over four days from Thursday, November 26th through Sunday, November 29th. Forget about shopping and holiday stress and spend your time outside and plan to hike all of Lake Monroe's trails and complete the challenge activities on each trail. Each trail has one challenge station. When you complete the activity, take a photo to document it. Everybody who completes the challenges and submits their photo set by Sunday, November 29th, will be entered into the prize drawing. The marked trail map and the submission link will be posted on the Facebook event page the evening of Wednesday, November 25th at bit.ly slash 2020 Monroe Hiking Challenge. You have four days to complete the challenge. McCormick's Creek State Park is having a program titled Forest Tales Part 1 on Saturday, November 21st from 2 to 3.30 p.m. Trees have adapted survival techniques to help them survive in different environmental conditions. McCormick's Creek has diverse habitats due to its karst topography. Meet at the Wolf Cave parking lot to take a rugged hike and learn how trees adapt to floodplain environments. Also at McCormick's Creek State Park, there will be a workshop about beavers on Sunday, November 22nd at 2 p.m. McCormick's Creek has diverse animal habitats in part because the park borders the White River. Learn about beavers, put your knowledge to the test, and see if you can build a beaver dam. This program will get a little messy and will be held inside the Nature Center. 
Spaces are limited. Register at wwilliams at dnr.in.gov. Masks are required. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report.